0: Welcome to the Deepwater Podcast. I'm Dave Mercer. I'm James Judd. And our goal on this podcast is to learn to make disciples the way Jesus made disciples. Yes, sir. Hi, I am really excited today to have a special guest named Daniel McNaughton. Now, Daniel McNaughton has done a lot of cool things. Uh, My very first thing I ever knew he did cool was play college basketball, And so when I was about nine years old, I got his autograph when I found that out, and probably somewhere in my old room at my parents' house, I probably still have it. Anyway, Daniel McNaughton has been a Bible professor, has been a church planter, has been a pastor. Super smart guy. Currently, he's a professor of practical ministries and Old Testament in Southeastern University. But that's not the reason that I have him on the podcast. We brought him on the podcast because of his experience of learning to make disciples. Now, when Dan, and you'll hear this in the interview, when he really figured out that he didn't know, he was already a Ph.D., working on his Ph.D., and he was a, one of the pastors at a church. And so you're going to hear this excellent story of kind of how that came about and then how that affected, once he began to understand disciple-making, how that affected him as a church planter, as a seminary professor, and just as a general follower of Christ. So I'm really excited about this interview, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. I was kind of wanting to jump back in and at least have you retell that story of kind of how you, kind of this epiphany of like, i I don't really know what a disciple is and that yeah. journey there.
1: Yeah, sure.
0: I think you were a PhD student at the time, so yeah. right?
1: Yeah, I was actually uh, just almost done with my PhD comps. You know, PhDs, depending on where you do it, you have classes and then you have comps. Comps are like the impossible test. They give you like, you know, 18 questions and they're big, big, tough questions. And then you have to be able to answer all of them without notes. You know, ah, uh-huh. four hours to write and you're just totally wasted when they're all over. But in, I was preparing for one of those and uh, mine weren't all on a few days. Like some people get a mine were spread out over about two and a half years. And, and so I was doing one, uh, happened to be on the synoptic gospels, but my head was just full. And I, okay. I, you know, had all this stuff I'm trying to work on there. And then I also was a pastor, full-time pastor at the time in Toronto, Ontario, I'm on staff at a great church, 29 mother tongues. I mean, it was like the world, you know, at mm-hmm. our doorstep. Mm-hmm. So that was busy. I just needed to spend some time with Jesus. And so I did what I would occasionally do, which is I, you know, you don't see a lot of these anymore. But, you know, those red letter editions of the Bible.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I, I, I know where a lot of those are. And Matthew, it's it's easy to find because they're all chunked together, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, You have five main teaching blocks in Matthew, and then the end of it's, you know, a dialogue with Jesus. So I was just reading that, but I was, I I hope I don't sound like too much of a geek, but I I was reading uh, the Great Commission in Greek, and I got to the Great Commission, and I I know I must have known it before this, but I, you know, it just stood out to me in a way. It's hard to describe how the doorway I passed through, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. But I realized there's only one command in that Great Commission, and it's to make disciples. I actually had thought, and I've been to lots of missions conventions where they preach it, that it's, the command is to go. Uh huh. But it's actually a participle there. So if you read it like they hear it, it'd be like, as you're going, and, like, and it's an assumption, of course you're going to uh-huh.
0: go. Despite the fact that I've studied a few other languages, my grammar's not real good. Tell me exactly what's a participle.
1: Yeah, it, it, it's like you uh, it, it use the word "ing," so like as you're going.
0: Uh huh.
1: So that's how they would have heard it: as you're going, mm-hmm. and it, it, the assumption is you're gonna you're gonna go as you're you're going about your life and everywhere you go and all that. Make disciples of all nations,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: the make disciples is the command. The command. Uh huh. Teaching and baptizing are kind of descriptives. They're descriptives of what discipleship looked like Uh for Jesus. And so so when that happened, for me, it was kind of like, wow, this is a really big deal. And if you read it in context, Jesus had just resurrected from the dead. And just before that, he'd gone through this excruciating death. Mm -hmm. He resurrects from the dead. And it was shocking in the context to realize that the first people he appeared to were women
2: Mm -hmm.
1: who in the culture don't have a vote. You know, they're even their witness is not considered uh, valid,
2: mm-hmm. but
1: Jesus didn't care. You know, right? So all this stuff going on, and then he's and then he meets with his disciples. He says, "Like, I want you to do one thing with your life. I want you to make disciples of all nations." You know, he said, and he, he precluded that by saying, all, I all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me." Mm-hmm. So it's like if you're going to get a boss. It's going to be Jesus, and you, uh-huh. and you really can't disobey Jesus. Right. Or you can. Right. You're not going to be obeying him, obviously. You can't do both. Right. About the time you start feeling the the heaviness of that, he says, and I'm going to be with you always mm-hmm. to the very end of the age. So you have this relationship with him.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. And so as you discover, you're looking and you're like, okay, the big command is make disciples, and where did that take you
1: yeah, so I, I actually, I, first of all, I was in shock because I was thinking, "Wow, this is a really, really big deal." But it, it, my experience in the church as a pastor, and you know, by that time I had two degrees, one, uh, and they were both in Bible. I Had an undergrad mm-hmm. Bible and a graduate. I had a master's degree from a reputable seminary, uh-huh. Gordon County Seminary, evangelical. And I was, you know, getting near at the end of a PhD and. I, in the quiet of my office of this great church, you know, after all these years, been raised in a ministry family, mm-hmm. I just was honest myself and I said, well, what's a disciple? And like, I, I mean, I know the Sunday school answers. Well, you right. know, somebody follows Jesus and, you, you know, you what do they do? Well, they pray and they, they give their lives for Jesus and whatever. But it seemed really vague to me. Like, this is a really big deal. Jesus mm-hmm. gives one command. And if there's one thing we ought to be good at and ought to know about, it ought to be about, you know, the one thing he asked his disciples to do in the Great Commission. And so, like, I, it, the more I, that thought just kept getting me. I was sitting there thinking, it feels like everything else, we, we have all of these things that we do. And in the church, you know, I started thinking about, wow, if, if we're supposed to do one thing, then everything ought to be clearly related to it.
0: Uh huh.
1: So then I got angry and <laughs> this is all nobody's talking to me. I'm an introverted guy. So I was sitting in my office. First I was like shocked. Then it went through and I was angry. Like, how could I be in the church? How could I go through these programs mm-hmm. and not know what a stinking disciple is? You know? Mm-hmm. Like the right. one thing. And then it went to embarrassment. I better not tell anybody. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> to like, hang on though, now I know for sure. So I better I better figure it out uh-huh. so at that point I went into the other office there was a couple of offices where we were but there's a senior pastor who was 64 years old he's a really good guy been pastoring for like 40 some years he was about to retire and uh I knew he wouldn't fire me but I went in and I said you have a few minutes and not you know knocking on his door and he said sure sure and I said don't fire me <laughs> he says I won't fire you what's going on I said, okay, I was just reading the Great Commission, and what's a disciple? And he kind of gave me the same kind of answer that I would have given, kind of the mushy, kind of mm-hmm. not super clear answer. And I said, I, that's what I was just thinking, but why is it so mushy? I mean, if there's one command, why, why don't we really know what it is? I mean," And I said to him, I said, if, if, if you had to give maybe the five or six key characteristics of a disciple, so we know we had made one, right? What would that be? How would we know? Yeah, mm-hmm. he's like, you know, that's a really good question. Um, and he was stuck, you know. But he was telling me stuff like, "Well, I know. I mean, you would, you would obviously, the Bible would be important, and you'd need to share your faith, and everything needs to be surrendered to Christ." And so, why? If if these are all that important, then why aren't they like what we really focus on? So we, I was just kind of stuck there. I wasn't mad at him at all. It was just like. It just seemed weird to me. Mm-hmm. And then I said out of the blue, I said, I, his name is Pastor McNutt. I said, Pastor McNutt, disciple me. And he said, um, what What are you thinking about? And I said, I don't know. I don't know what it means. You, you've been serving the Lord all these years. J- I don't know. Just do it. And he mm-hmm. said, well, I, I, I don't, you know, I'm not really sure what we would do. He said, tell you what. um, Let's do this together. So behind the scenes, what we ended up doing is we started ordering all kinds of curriculum and rereading the—I was rereading the Gospels and just trying to figure it out. And we started doing some different kind of discipling stuff. I've been through probably more discipling systems than most human beings. Mm-hmm. I would do them as far as I—where, and where, you know, I, I didn't do every one of them completely all the way, but I did a chunk. And I kept asking myself— is this what Jesus was talking about? Is like the whole world going to do this?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And if if I did this, would I look like one of the disciples that followed Jesus and was willing to give their lives and reach the entire world for Christ? Right. And, you know, I would get a certain point and I would be like, man, I don't know. I don't know. It seems more like, oh, it's about memorization of passages, which I think is important. Mm-hmm. Or it would be about, you know, getting my doctrine lined out. Mm-hmm. Which I think is important. But if you have your doctrine lined out and you're, you know, they're important. But they, I know a lot of people that know a lot of stuff, but they're not really reaching the entire yeah. world the gospel.
0: Yeah, they have great doctrine and no love. Or yeah. great doctrine and no whatever you want to fill in the blank.
1: Yeah. So that sent me on a major quest. I actually just committed that the rest of my life uh, that I was just going to try to figure it out and try to live that. And so I've been doing that since 1993. So i uh, just been at it. I still feel like very much like I'm just a novice. But what I am doing is when I learn something, I give it away as quickly as possible
2: uh-huh.
1: and uh, try not to uh, profit any more than I have to. <laughs> you know, there's realities of publish something or so there's a, all kind of ways the Lord and I have kind of figured out how to do that. Uh-huh. And it seems what, what's happened is for me is it's it's all been groundswell stuff of just learning stuff. I try to give it away, try to find out how to. And then I just I think what's the biggest impact for Jesus that this could make? And so is there any way I can think of? It? So, like, for example, with with our book, I ended up I'm eventually writing a book, which I, I didn't want to write, actually, because I thought it might mess it up. I still think it has messed it up.
0: OK. Uh-huh.
1: But overseas uh I they're all non-royalty versions. Okay. So that I you know I figured they there's a cost of printing a paper. Uh-huh. But it's not it's not even anywhere close to what you pay for it when you buy it in a you know bookstore or whatever. It's also really complicated to get it overseas. So I was like, you know what? Let's just, <laughs> just Let's just freefall it, you know, and uh-huh. see what can I'd rather, you know, hear Jesus say well done than make a lot of money, you know.
0: Right right, yeah that's interesting, just in terms of feeling like the book has quote unquote messed it up or it isn't it isn't quite the same. tell me about that why is that
1: yeah so the the whole point of making the book was i I just kept rereading the Gospels over and over again and saying, okay, what Jesus did ought to be what we do, and I don't mean that in some kind of like we're we're him or nothing weird theologically but just if we're pattering our lives after him, that's what we ought to be doing. So I started noticing that Jesus talked less than I expected and asked more questions. Mm-hmm. And then when people needed to get zinged, like religious folk, he was mm-hmm. very confrontive and not fun to them. And so all these things that I would kind of never do, you know, Right. and then I was shocked by certain things like he he asked his disciples to follow him in a culture where if you were really a teacher, they had to kind of really pursue you. And then you kind of picked your, you picked the best ones and you, you know, sorted through them all. Mm -hmm. And I started noticing. So Jesus totally turned the tables on that. I noticed that before he even went and picked his disciples, he prayed all night. And Mm -hmm. that shocked me. I mean, he's the creator of the universe. Like why, why would he need to pray all night? You know, Uh doesn't he just know stuff and And he does, but he he wanted to, I guess he wanted to pray and he wanted to commune with the Father through the process of picking these disciples. Mm -hmm. At every major juncture, he's praying. So I thought, well, if he's praying at every juncture, then I should be. And, you know, he's asking questions instead of making statements to people that are on a journey. And he's not judging people like that sleep with other people. You know, he's like, going to eat at people's houses who were like really the lowest yeah uh, like Zacchaeus everybody hated him and he was like the low life yeah i mean he was wealthy but he was a he was a yeah. scoundrel
0: he's like the corrupt government official
1: yeah and then you got Matthew you know who was who has those parties that invites his... Jesus there because he knows Jesus will be great at a party with lost people <laughs> right i started thinking about that like when's the last time somebody invited me to a party with that has a truckload of lost people because they think i would do really well there right and all these things unnerved me right so Uh but i started trying to live this out and just i would ask more questions and i would turn people to the lord rather than to me and and so i at one point i thought well we got to start somewhere so i i took an extended period of, I prayed and I just said, Lord, if there are people that you want me to disciple, show me who they are. And in the stillness of my heart, he gave me a list and I, it was, it was fast. And I, so I wrote these names down. It was like, I didn't tell anybody mm-hmm. just in Jesus, you know? And then I said, okay, I don't know what to do. So, and, and he, he just showed me that I should just lean toward the relationship and see if, see if they seem to be receptive. I wouldn't necessarily tell them I want to disciple them at first. It would just be kind of spend time with them and see if there's an openness to that. Uh And then eventually ask them, well, I started praying for them and opportunities and they all opened up and they all wanted to do this. Uh So I started meeting with him. So for 10 years, I did this all completely quiet. I did it. You know, the Lord would give me nine, 10 people a year. Uh Sometimes there would be repeats Uh uh-huh but uh and i did this and i would just say hey how are you doing how's your week what's the lord been nudging you with they would often say i don't know if it's the lord or not but i was reading this the other day and it stood out to me and i'd say "Wow, that sounds interesting what do you think you should do about that what's the Mm -hmm. kind of nut what if if the lord were sitting here what do you think he would tell you Mm -hmm. and so these kind of conversations it was just like like that, and then usually they would come up with some decision that they really needed to do to respond to what the Lord was doing in their life. Usually something came out of Scripture or some something in their life. And so we would pray together, and because Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so I would say, okay, well, you can't change yourself. If you could do it, you would do it, mm-hmm. but you can't do it without him, so... Let's ask him and I'll join you in that prayer, you know, and where two or three are gathered and agree touching anything that shall be done. I believe that. I know that that context is about church discipline, but there's something that happens when a couple of people agree together towards the will of God. And so we would pray and a lot of people were making great strides or some two steps forward, one step back. And but I would just stay in the pocket. And, and I started seeing people grow like crazy. Mm-hmm. like I'd never seen. And like, you know, you go to, you know, I preached a lot, you know, and you at that point and I had, you know, done a lot of classes and I had even run, you know, I'd run for five years, discipleship classes i never seen to this level. Mm-hmm. And the other kind of, there's a couple of things that kind of converge at the same time. Like I was not raised in small groups per se, not like the modern mm-hmm. you know, church, small group idea. I mean, we had Sunday school, right? There were pieces about Sunday school that were kind of like a small group. But uh, when I looked at the groups that, you know, when Jesus was with his group, his is is a lot different from a small group. Right. I mean, it was like life on life and questions and living it out and object lessons and just a lot of cool stuff. Mm -hmm. So those kind of things pushed me into learning about small groups. And so I started, let's see if there's something in group life. And I I noticed, back up and say, I noticed that the followers of Jesus in the first century, like if you followed him, he would take you to the crowds. Mm -hmm. There would be times where, you know, you'd be there with the 12 disciples, but you would also be there with like 5,000 other people. Right. You know, so in that context, you're in a crowd. And then I noticed that there's the 70, some later on, but early on, it was just the 12. Mm -hmm. And so And then I saw these one-on-one encounters with Jesus. And then there were times where Jesus would say, hey, I'm going to prayer. (laughs) I'm not going to talk to you, but you can come if you'd like. And why don't you do the same? And so I saw these four contexts of the follower. How did Jesus make disciples? Four contexts that they were in. The large group, the small group, where you can ask questions and you know see it. These one-on-one things, which are more challenging usually where he asks a lot of questions and he really drills down on an area in their life. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like for example, when Jesus took Peter, James and John up to the mountain, mm-hmm. he, that one is, is just interesting because he they, he gets transformed and Peter doesn't know what to say. And he's like, yeah, we should build this, you know, tabernacles. And Jesus is like, no, no, we're not doing that. Yeah. But I don't know, that one wasn't as direct, but right after that, you know, Jesus started telling them about his his death. And mm-hmm. Peter's like, no, I'm, that's never going to happen. And Jesus calls him Satan, you know. Right. <laughs> but then he does it. Jesus does it evangelistically, too, which is even more interesting, like with a mm-hmm. woman at the well, for example, in John four.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: He asks questions more than he makes statements. You know, and he picks up on stuff and then he says really direct statements. But so there's there's a lot of things like that. Uh-huh. That, you know, I and then he said, I think it's in I think it's chapter 18, I think, of Matthew, where he says, where two or three are gathered in my name. I'm in the midst.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, that's something we, we quote, like when we have bad showing at a prayer meeting, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, you know, God's present, even though there's only a couple of us here, you know. You know, they try to spur everybody on, you know, mm-hmm. but the more I thought about, that, I thought, what if, what if two or three is, there's supposed to be something special that actually happens when we make space
0: mm-hmm.
1: for him that really wouldn't happen in a group and it wouldn't happen with 5,000. Uh-huh. I started thinking about all the kinds of things that if, if I could talk to Jesus about one thing and, and he could help me, like I, I would probably, I would really like that, mm-hmm. you know? i wouldn't want anybody else to be there and i know i can do it in prayer but but i would be helpful if there was a human being too that you know that would be maybe i could trust and and so so that that kind of got that ball rolling for me and so when i saw that if, if people were doing all four of those contexts and then when i was complaining about not being able to find a discipler to the lord in my private time one day he spoke to me i don't want to say that glibly like how do you know it wasn't verb it wasn't out loud or anything like that but it was it was very very poignant to me personally give away what you wish somebody would give to you and so that all collided with wow what i would really want is somebody that would in a trustworthy way that i would walk with me while i'm growing in areas that i desperately need Mm -hmm. to grow in and want somebody there but i i don't Really don't. I wouldn't even want two or three people there. I just want one person that that would really and I. But I don't want counseling like that. And it, I don't want mentoring because that person's not going to tell me what to do. I want them to listen with me mm-hmm. with God, that God's presence. So that's what I was doing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So if somebody had that and a, a small group where they could live out and kind of really honestly, in the small group, is really learning to love people that you don't like very well. <laughs> you know, over the long haul.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: you got the large group where there's all kind of stuff going on and all kind of people there. And then these quiet times in prayer. When I saw that going on, and then the other piece of it was uh, the piece of discovering, you know, at least seven, I'm calling them attributes. I don't know if that's even a good word for it, but like seven things that, that were kind of trajectories of the early followers of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And it came straight out of the Sermon on the Mount. You know, when Jesus said, Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Mm-hmm. It's the first time he says that. And um, so they follow him. He immediately goes to the lost, which I found shocking, you
2: mm-hmm. know.
1: As I was trying to follow him, I was thinking, Great, we're gonna get some hangout time and you're gonna teach me and we're have some intimacy and all this stuff. And and actually none of that happened at first.
2: Uh-huh.
1: He, he you know, and if you think about it, it makes sense. He said, Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. OK, so he's gonna he's he's going to change me mm-hmm. and he takes you immediately to the, the field to show you what it looks like. Mm-hmm. And yeah. what are you doing? You know, you're you're just with him initially. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing was that they he's preaching. And so what are you doing? Well, you're just listening. You're learning to value what he values while he's teaching. And and then I noticed he was healing people, which I was totally freaked out about it one level because it, you think about you just followed Jesus and you see a miracle mm-hmm. like that would affect your worldview. Yeah. But they they were learning. to And then later on, he commissioned them to heal people, too. So that was kind of like they were learning to heal.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And, then, and then you get to that. That'd be like the Matthew. And then you get to chapter five. And finally, he teaches, you know, you along with the crowd, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit and so on. So you're learning then. And then he says, you are the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. And what I heard from that is that you are an influence. Mm-hmm. And it, as a pastor at that time, what was shocking to me is that Jesus didn't say, like, let's go let's go, like, do an outreach. Uh-huh. He said, no, no, no. Everywhere you go, this is your identity. And light mm-hmm. directed people where to go. And salt had an impact. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is, and so you're you're wherever you go, you're an influence. It, he wasn't saying go be an influence; like
0: uh-huh. saying
1: this is your identity. Yeah, and he didn't wait till the end of the discipleship thing to to do it. He's like it's early on; they're already witnessing, even with with bad theology. Mm-hmm. So that shocked me, and right. and so that's the fourth one: learning to influence. And the fifth one was uh, learning to love. And the shocker there for me was the first thing Jesus teaches his disciples about love is to love your enemy. And I was like, that seems like lesson 52, you know?
0: <laughs> right. Right. After you get your doctorate, then you work on loving your <laughs> yeah. enemy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Let's start with something easy, like love the Lord with all your heart. That's chapter 22. Hmm. But I, yeah, it's almost like Jesus is saying, look, do you want me to resolve your relationship relational issues or not? If you'll... You'll do it my way. I'll solve it.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. You start with people that you you really don't like, and let's just hit it head on. Mm -hmm. Now, pray for them and do do loving things towards them, and let me change you Mm -hmm. about that Mm -hmm. so you can love them. That's just shocking to me. Like maybe it's your fifth day as a follower of Jesus, you know? Yeah. And then learn to pray is the next one. Shocker there is that Jesus starts with how not to pray. And he's saying, you know, like those people right over there that are like really religious and which we all think are bad people. They were actually the really, really good people of the time. Yeah. They went to church all the time kind of people. Yeah. He said, those people, you know, don't don't pray like them. It ticks God off. you know. Uh-huh. But then pray this kind of prayer and you pray the, the apostles prayer, you know, the Lord's prayer. Mm-hmm. And then the next part was to learn to um, to manage, you know. Don't store for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, you know, but but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So we're learning to manage all of our resources to advance his kingdom. Yeah. So learn to manage. So those seven things kind of became the backdrop of my own personal discipleship development. Uh-huh. And I would set goals and eat all those seven things myself mm-hmm. and not, not necessarily necessarily Always the best goals, but I was just trying to see if if the Lord would can, change those in me.
0: uh-huh, can you grow in those things? yeah,
1: mm-hmm. and so that's kind of and so then I started I wasn't even really telling people that that's what I was doing, but when, we, when I would meet with people one on one, I would ask them questions in one actually, what I notice is that every time I ask them a question it it's one of those seven things comes up
0: uh, uh-huh,
1: and I started being like suspicious uh-huh. that there was that this is more than just me discovering the initial thing, that it might be foundational for followers of Jesus. Mm -hmm. So anyway, that led to 10 years of that. And then, uh, so the book ended up coming out of that. When we, after I had done this for 10 years, I felt a nudge to plant a church. And there was a really good group of people and just a lot to that story. But, we ended up launching a church for people who weren't who weren't going to church. Mm-hmm. This is in Southeast Pennsylvania. A lot of people showed up and people started, who were not very religious people, started making decisions to follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. Initially, I just was kind of, if they were male, I was trying to disciple them just like I had been doing.
0: Uh-huh.
1: There was too many. Right. And I was you know, kind of dealing with that and talking to uh, kind of lamenting with our team that I realized I didn't have any time left. I had to preach a message and I knew at the end of that, I was going to invite people to come to Christ and probably they were going to, there was going to be somebody uh-huh. and I had no time in my life and I did and I, and I had tried to, you know, give it away to all of them too and their lives were all full.
2: Uh-huh.
1: And so out of that kind of dialogue as a team, we, said that one guy actually you know said to me in in on our leadership team he pointed his finger at me and he said you know you're supposed to write yeah because we were talking about we couldn't find a discipleship curriculum that was actually doing what we do uh-huh. you know they had these class things which are partially there but they always never fit this relational development kind of thing mm-hmm. that's why he said you know you know you're supposed to write it and I really wrestle I said I don't want to mess it up because it's 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 not like a it's not like a curriculum. Uh-huh. You know, it's not like, oh, yeah, I, I'll read the book and then I'm, I'm discipled. It's, right. it's a trajectory for the rest of your life mm-hmm. of continually growing in, in at least these seven attributes. And it's in relationship with another person who, yeah. who you can walk with, who you can trust. Uh-huh. So that led to a desire to see if we could find a way to be more intentionally giving that away training people while we're doing it with them. Uh Uh-huh. But we knew that we needed to get the seven attributes out there as a church as well. Uh Uh-huh. So we took about a year, and I trained. Well, I was writing uh, this down from what had been in my heart for so long, really based off the Sermon on the Mount. But at the same time, I was training the people who were closest to me, some of which I had discipled, some of which I hadn't. Uh Uh-huh. But the, with the idea that they were going to reproduce this now in others, see if they could think of somebody that they we were close to or the Lord was directing them to who they could sow into their life as well. Uh-huh. And we had built those, uh, the other systems kind of into place in the church already. We had a large group. We had a small group. And we did have a prayer time. And we, we taught about that a lot and taught about personal devotions a lot. Uh-huh. But this one piece was missing. So, after about six months or so of of, of really, it's significantly pouring into people right around me. I said, "Okay, now you're going to do it, but here's what we're going to do: you're going to you're going to prayerfully ask somebody, and when you have somebody, we had a certain deadline. Then mm-hmm. they were together with the person they were going to be sewing into. They were going to both come to a training where I oh, would. Tra- okay. I would train the people who, who I had sewn into in front of the people that they were going to
0: sew into. Yeah. Yeah,
1: uh, How to do what I was just fledgling learning to do. Uh So we did that. It took basically the fall. And uh, then the whole thing was that those people now were going to pick prayerfully pick people that they were going to sew their lives into. And I required everybody to disciple a Christian yeah. before they, they discipled a, a brand new baby Christian because it's a lot more challenging.
0: Yeah. A lot. Hopefully there's at least a little less a little less mess that you're dealing with.
1: Yeah. Well they're hungrier. That's uh-huh. for sure.
0: Although I'm thinking of the story you told me last time we visited about the the group of uh brand new believers that were so challenging to you because they just obeyed and didn't Yep, that's me. I'm the guy that's going to make you wait till next week to hear that story. So, we're trying to keep our episodes right about 30 minutes. You can shoot me an email. You can find me at Luke5.com. Shoot me an email at James at Luke5.com. And let me know if you'd rather have a longer episode. Uh, We can do that without too much problem. But, a lot of people have said that it's easier if there's like 30 minutes, something about the drive to work. So anyway, we're going to break this up into two. If I get ahead on my editing of some of the other people coming up, maybe I'll go ahead and release his second part a little bit earlier. Anyway, appreciate you guys. Appreciate y'all listening with me. Hope you got a lot out of that interview. You know, I get the benefit of listening to it to like two or three times as I do the interview, edit the interview. So I've learned all kinds of stuff, and I hope you did too. There's a lot of real, real treasures and jewels in there. And I hope that you are beginning to have a little better sense of what it would mean in your life to make disciples. Anytime you have questions, anything we can help you with, do reach out to us. We'd love to do that. Thanks. Until next week, we'll see you. Hey, and one last thing if you are listening to this and it is 2018 month of June then this weekend June 14th 15th and 16th I'm going to be teaching on making disciples at the Ute Lake Camp Meeting if you're in the northeastern New Mexico Logan area, uh, come out! It will be a great time. I'll be teaching in the morning about more about making disciples, and then there'll be other people preaching and teaching in the afternoon and evening. And there's going to be stuff for your kids, stuff for you, for the youth. It'll be a really great time. Uh, come out and join us. And if you're listening to this, and it's after June sixteenth, two thousand eighteen, maybe you can come in next year. See ya.